I'm Lowell Jennings, and we have Randy here. Hello, everyone. I'm Randy. Hi. I'm currently in high school, and I'm 17 years old, and I'm excited to be here to talk about um, what I'm interested in as a high schooler. All right. Maybe we could talk about, like, what is it like as a teenager to, like, do discourse about politics or, like, um, be a debater? Like, yeah. how did you get into discourse and government? Yeah. So when I joined um, high school yeah, as a 14-year-old, I decided to join speech and debate because I thought it'd be pretty fun. And I also thought it would be a nice boost to my college applications. So at first... Um, I was just doing it like for no reason, but then things started taking off. I started getting more interested in it. I started doing pretty well at it um, and I competed at the national level and everything. But like later when I started doing debate, I realized that, you know, debate is really all about winning. It's not about figuring out the truth at all. It's all about pursuit of victory and like not a pursuit of truth at all. So you'll skew evidence in your favor you'll talk at like 300 words per minute so your opponent can't keep up they can't write down what you're saying and they can't have enough time to respond so like that type of atmosphere while it does train you to be very good at argumentation it wasn't conducive to figuring out anything about our society at all how much of debate is persuasion over arguing so debate um high school debate especially it used to be more about you know, what the truth was. So in debate, there are two words, it's truth and tech. So tech is whether or not you technically won. So you can say like the sky is red or something. And in debate, that's, if your opponent doesn't refute that, that statement stands as true in the entire round. So mm -hmm. there's tech and truth. And it used to be that judges would evaluate truth over tech, but increasingly it's as long as you win technically, um, the truth doesn't matter at all. How about like debate in real life? Is it when you approach, it doesn't have to be a debate, but like maybe like when you're debating with someone in real life, is it more, what's the balance between how you approach like debate with like truth versus like, what's the yeah, other yeah. part? Like persuasion. Yeah. yeah. So um, obviously high school debate is like its own little sphere and has like a set different set of rules than what you would see in real life. And the only really portable skills you get from high school debate um, is like being able to talk persuasively and to convey your arguments and points effectively. Um, a lot of the stuff you learn is like pretty BS to be honest. So taking that out of the high school debate context, like I still maintain the argumentation skills, but I definitely try to approach um, regular discourse with people I talk with online or in person, like with compromise as the end goal and not just like winning. You talk about compromise, you said compromise, is that more on like a solution or is it more on like, mm. like trying to understand where the person is coming from? Yeah, it's trying to come uh, see where the person is coming from and then trying to mold the two perspectives, my perspective and their perspective together because in high school debate, like I'm going to talk about this a lot because it's a nice 
um, dichotomy to compare with like productive discourse. Like you have to debate both sides. So sometimes you'll debate things that you don't even believe are true. And like, no matter what your opponent says, even if it makes a bunch of sense, you're going to insist that what you're saying is right. And you're going to twist the facts in any way possible so that the judge believes that like your side wins. But like, in real life, you don't have to do that. You can concede that you're wrong. And then you can also concede that your opponent is right. So that's like really key in coming to compromise because you can't expect yourself to be right all the time or wrong all the time. And what you find like in the middle is often, you know, the closest to the truth. What if the two arguments are contradictory? Like you can't really accept one as like a fact or something. How that um, works? Can you give an example or like you can't accept one as a fact? What does that mean? Um, there are a lot of things that like I could say from my own experience that is true. But if you're looking at from a different angle, then that's also true. But we're just looking at the same thing from a different perspective. And because the way we're looking at it, we don't see it exactly as the other person's perspective and we might think it's wrong just because we can't see what's going on. Yeah. I mean, sometimes that does happen. Like two people can see one phenomena and then come to different conclusions about it or see different causes for it. Um, and like, I think the worst case scenario, you guys can just disagree, uh, agree to disagree, which means like, you'll just be like, okay, well, I see your point of view, but I'm not going to agree with you. But ideally, you should be working towards like, molding some more nuance into your own viewpoints. So like, I remember I was talking with um, another high schooler, another one of my peers about, uh, about body positivity. So they were saying like, you know, we need to stop fat shaming, we need to say that all body types are beautiful. So I was saying, well, if you're saying that fat is beautiful, some people might misattribute that with um, being like being fat is okay. Being fat is healthy. So like at the end of the day, like we agreed that the risk exists, but it's body positivity is probably being used like mostly productively at this point. Are you looking for like truth? Like body positively is as a truth or is it more on persuasion like who seems more right well, i feel like there's a there's a fine line between what we feel is right and what is actually right like what's actually truth yeah i mean one part of it obviously is always this pursuit of truth but truth is like not something extremely like objective and it's intangible and it's like unreachable. So it was more just out of a concern that body positivity would corrode societal values of being fit because when society has pushed people like sometimes aggressively to not be overweight, to not be underweight, to exercise, to go out into nature, to be healthy, that has historically like in the 1920s made society as a whole more healthy and more fit and people have exercised a lot more and we see like a lot of people in their peak body but if we say oh like being that way is okay looking like that is okay obviously sure like beauty is subjective but i was afraid that that might corrode the values of we still need to try to be a healthy body weight with a healthy bmi in the 1920s was that like 
the consensus, like we should all be yeah. fit. Yeah. I mean, I remember learning about that last year, just um, in a push, like basically even the president was endorsing like, oh, everybody, American citizens go out, do a lot of exercise, go into nature. That was just the social fabric at the time. And that's like an interpretation of what body positivity is like, right? And that interpretation changes over time. And well, did, body, did it change body, over time? Um, well, nowadays, I mean, America is like leading in obesity in the world. Like increasingly, we're seeing health complications due to, you know, either it's uh, people being anorexic or just overall eating unhealthy foods and that's not only like due to the people that's also due to like the foods that are coming into um like the world today it's getting more and more artificial more and more pumped with sugars and fats but like body positivity is like saying any body weight is beautiful um it doesn't matter like how you look that is beautiful and like sure i i understand that like beauty subjective but i don't want like beauty to be confused or equated to health right health what is there a solution for this like to get more people healthier and also like have them happy with who how their body is I mean, I think there can be a balance there, but <clears throat> I've heard plenty of stories where people are like overweight and people are just like, their friends are like, oh dude, you're like uh, a couple swear words, like you're, you're fat and then basically shame them. And then sometimes that actually, that negative motivation is actually what gets them to like start working out, to start improving themselves. A lot of times you'll see like the motivation for people to start work out is completely negative. It's like somebody broke up with them. Um, they got rejected, some big failure. And then they decide, oh, this is like, I need to improve myself because there's negative standards about how I am right now. So I think negative motivation is um, being underplayed right now. It's quite effective actually. But that motivation really comes like inwardly, right? It's not, even though the culture might be negative toward you, maybe you have the inward desire to change. Yeah, obviously all motivation is generated inwardly, but you need an exterior catalyst uh, like most of the time to actually give you that push to start being motivated. Would it be better to motive like the external motivation be like um, encouraging to be like healthy, or is it more on, or is it better to like the shaming part? Yeah, I think both are good, but like both are useful. Both have their uses, but like removing the negative motivation obviously decreases the overall motivation that there is positive motivation will always exist, but negative motivation also has its uses. And I think scientifically proven that um, negative factors in your life are like three times more powerful than positive factors. So if like three good things happen to you, that one negative thing will cancel it out. Um, so like negative motivation is I don't know, underrated, I guess. And, and the argument against it is that it like hurts your mental health. But I think if it's done constructively, it probably won't. How did people like in the 1920s, like really get into like being healthy? Was it 
So I'm not really sure how that social fabric formed. Um, but I guess like somehow, I don't even know how social fabrics form in the first place. But yeah, they just somehow had this consensus and people were exercising a lot. It was a general trend, enough of a trend to be studied in history textbooks. And a lot of people were talking about it at that time and encouraging it. Yeah, especially like government officials also like the president. Um, I forgot who the president was at that time, but yeah, there was a lot of encouragement to go out and exercise and be healthy. So since like if people are motivated to act, to be healthy um, because there's a lot of talk about it, then maybe like conversations about being healthy would help. Yeah. More conversations would definitely help. What about like you said, what do we, what do we think about you? Uh, you said you didn't really know what contributes to like changing like the social fabric. Yeah, maybe we could think of like what actually does change the social fabric. Yeah, sure. I mean, in the case of body positivity, it's definitely just the movement. Somebody started the movement, um, you know, because I think there was a problem to be addressed, which was that the standards set by like magazines or other things that were photoshopped were just ridiculous and probably damaging to people's mental health when they saw it and compared themselves to it constantly, especially with the um, influx of social media where you're just bombarded with these images of like ideal bodies. So the counter um, to that movement was probably, oh, it doesn't matter how you look, you're beautiful. Okay. But like it solves one problem, but it might create another, which is that no matter how you look, you're fine just the way you are, not only in beauty, but also in health. And that could be dangerous. Hmm. How does, how do you think social media will like, can it be used positively? I mean, I, I would say it's pretty hard to like use social media in a, like a really, po like an actual positive way to actually motivate people to be healthy. Um, well, I disagree. I think that if you use social media to post like your progress and not just where you are right now, it makes it less daunting for people. It looks like an ideal version of um, a body that they can't achieve. But if you show where you started, that can be motivating for people. So you post like transformations and then you also post how you're doing it. So you're not only showing people what's possible, you're showing them how to do it that's like a great way to motivate people. And I've seen a lot of accounts um, that do this sort of stuff. And a lot of people in the comments are like, oh, this motivated me to start like working out. Like, yeah. And they started posting their own transformations too. So like forming community, this is like a community of, of all, everyone encouraging each other to, to yeah. Be more, yeah, to be more healthy. Yeah. It's less about like bragging and pretending that you are like, super perfect and more about like oh this is my progress so far and i'm proud of my progress and you can do it too because if 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 it was different like people posting their progress to like show off that would just be feeding into the whole like everyone feels bad about themselves so i think like that community thing of like encouraging like mutual 
mutual encouragement is like what makes it work. Yeah, I mean, you always run the risk of discouraging people. You can post very encouraging stuff, and some person can be discouraged by it, and like uh, vice versa. You can post really discouraging stuff, and some person could be encouraged by it. So you can't have a hundred percent, obviously. But when you do post your transformations, if you're not like skewing the time frame, like some people will post their transformation and say they did it in three months. People, some people will believe it, and that will discourage them. But in general, the transformations are much more encouraging. Than just posting like what you have. Does it seem like I feel like when I am motivated by these um, transformations, I feel like it's hard to see. For me, it's hard to see what's going on. They're they're more of their hard work behind it. Yeah. And while I might feel really good to like try this myself, I think. I would struggle like continuing and actually doing it every day. Mm. Well, that's just like a lack of internal motivation. I mean, yeah, if you don't want it that bad, then it, then you're probably not going to get it. But some people like they um, they just want it that bad, and they're they're going to get it. Like going all in, one hundred percent. Like just, just doing it. Yeah. I mean, especially when the before picture looks similar to like your own body, that's probably when it produces the most motivation. And then also, you have to like have quite a feeling of discontent with the status quo, like to be able to change it. Because if you're like somewhat satisfied with your body, like you're not gonna have that much motivation. To, you know get to that next level but if you're like okay i have enough of what i have right now i want like more that is probably what you need for more more motivation have you gotten more motivated from from these from these um i mean i haven't really like felt huge discontent like with what i have right now but like maybe in the future, like when I have more time, I might like start working out more seriously. So is it, um, so like you're in the, you're in a stage where it's like, I'm healthy enough or. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and my ultimate goal with exercise is just health. Um, how for those like um, people that exercise a lot, so like they could do a lot of things. Like for example, my cross country coach, he runs a lot. Yeah. So he's able to do things that I wouldn't be able to do because he could just go out into a mountain and just spend a, spend a whole day there and. That's not something I could do because I can't run that far or that long. So what do you yeah. think about like people that exercise to like do more things and do more things with their life? Um, yeah, I mean, that I think that's definitely a component, but like anybody who exercises avidly will tell you that they're not doing it only for the increased capabilities, but because they enjoy the process too. Like they also enjoy, like 
the actual running in and of itself, you know, the production of endorphins, all of that, like, yeah. So there's multiple reasons you can exercise health capabilities, the process itself. Yeah. Because running is really, it's a, it's on you. Like you, you can't really, you can't really depend on anyone to exercise for it. can run for you. Mm-hmm. It's like a, you're accountable and yeah. Like a single player game running as a single player game. Yeah. That it's probably what makes it hard for a lot of people. Myself included. How have you been exercising? recently well um i just like do push-ups sit-ups squats calf raises and then some like light cardio and that's it any types of cardio like running just, or yeah huh? just running just running oh okay so, like do you know one punch man have you heard of it it rings a bell. Like, is it someone that like fights or something? Yeah. It's like, um, an anime where somebody, there's this like main character. He's just insanely overpowered. That's what the entire series is built on him being able to defeat these villains that are hyped up like for an entire episode. And he one punches them. And like his story to becoming so powerful was hundred pushups a day, hundred sit-ups a day, hundred squats and a 10 kilometer run. So I have like a way, way, way watered down version of his workout. That's very doable. That's that's six miles. Is is that doable? <laughs> okay. I mean, I... I, or like, my problem was, is since March, I yeah. haven't been able to like. I feel like I just like, even though I try really hard to like get outside, just it's really hard to do it. And what got me going like before was cross country because cross country we we run and we do those like push-ups strength and that kind of thing yeah yeah without like um a group to run with like you do in cross country right and without like schedules and organized run times it is probably more difficult when you have like all this freedom that seems so good at first it actually might dab you in the back yeah, because like running becomes like an afterthought. It's not exercise is really, really good, but if you don't do it, you don't feel like really, really bad the first day, but eventually it's a habit and it's hard to get back. Yep. All about momentum. You start running for like a week, you build up that momentum and then it's so easy to go out the eighth day, but you haven't exercised for a week, it's hard to start on the eighth day. And it also works conversely, right? Because if you just get a little bit step, just like put on your shoes and just make it a habit to at least like go outside your door. Yeah. Anyone can do that. And you just gradually get a little bit better and you might go somewhere the eighth day. Yep. Yeah. What do you think of challenging the status quo in general? Um, 
in general challenging the status quo that's a super broad question um but i think like our politics and our two-party system is quite reflective of a constructive somewhat constructive process of challenging the status quo because there are liberals and conservatives and obviously liberals want to you know liberally um make changes to the status quo but conservatives say there is so much value in what we traditionally have had so I think those both forces are very good. Like you need somebody to push forward consistently and somebody to hold them back and be like, wait a second, is that really a good idea? Um, so there's a limit, like the status quo isn't perfect. Anybody can acknowledge that. Anybody can find a couple of flaws in the status quo, but like, how do you change things for the better and not for the worse? I feel this liberal conservative thing is really contributing to the status quo because we're mm-hmm. not getting back, like, upping the status quo because we're in this like system, this governmental system and like having two parties trying to like go forward or like do something else. Or I feel like that's the thing that's, it's the system that kind of. Yeah. I will agree with that. I would say that the gridlock in a two party system is infinitely preferable to a one party system, a dictatorship that has absolutely no um, checks on its power like that's why we have three branches in our government that's why we have multiple parties that's why there's so many checks on like every single government official's power because like that discourse is what prevents things from spiraling out of control so maybe we're not exactly upping the status quo at record pace right now but like i would say we're preventing like the worst of worst of changes that some people may be suggesting Because, like, some countries that only have one leader, they could do whatever they want at, as fast as they want. And sometimes, I guess that... Yeah. Sorry, you kind of cut out. I don't know. Did you? Oh, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm um, thinking. No worries. So... Yeah, I guess I I think I get the idea of what you're about to ask. So like about a one party system, like a monarchy, something like that, something to that sort. Like obviously there's not many kings and queens left in this world, but like let's take China as an example. So I would say like uh, she is like relatively good leader for China. He's weeded out a decent amount of corruption. But like one party systems, I would agree under a very good leader or king or queen, whatever like a one party system is the best form of government. And I think it was Plato or Aristotle. (laughs) They're actually quite against democracy. It's pretty funny coming from ancient Greece, the founder of democracy, but like a one party system, one leader system is very good when you have an effective leader that's able to rally everything up. Because like you said, it's so efficient. They don't have to go through all this bureaucracy, go through all these processes in order to get what they want enacted. And if they genuinely have the will of the people in their mind, they're able to help their country flourish like rapidly. But this runs the risk because like most people like have self-interest in mind first and foremost. So that's, really is just like a huge risk to run and every single like one party or dictatorship has flourished maybe for uh, in the short term but in the long term it's always ended badly when somebody who shouldn't have power does end up in power wouldn't some what if the leader like misses like a solution like 
one one person is probably not gonna like be able to know everything or like know the best solution for like what most people want. Is that a problem? Um yeah, that's like a big problem that they might be disconnected from the people, but they also have advisors and obviously I mean the smaller you your group goes, the the more you risk not representing like the will of the people, but the more efficient you are. So like in democracy the opposite. You're literally involving everybody into the the political process and into the decision into the decision making process. But it's quite slow. Like as we can see with this election, like just electing a leader, it's going extremely slowly because we want everyone involved. We want every single vote counted. And yeah. Would the advisors to leaders in general, like advisors to the US government, like US officials or advisors to a one party leader, would yeah. they have a lot of influence because they determine what the leader knows, right? Yeah. So I guess it's a bit of a split of power, but in general, like probably in the past monarchies their advisors have been aristocrats because wealth is power nowadays like the president has economic advisors legal advisors things to help him because one person can't handle like the entire scope of the president's job okay let's let's see like can they do a good job even with those advisors because there are so Everything is so complicated, right? How do you have advisors that like really know like how how do everything right? Um, I mean, if you have advisors for most of your um work, it's gonna be division of labor. And I'd say when people are concentrating on what they specialize in, I would say they tend to do a pretty good job. And we've seen most pres- presidents, like even if you disagree with their policy, they've been able to enact. Like a lot of policy in general. Is there like an? Are there like any advisors like now that are like pretty, like useful? Like they're good, like um, like helpful. Um. Well, let's take an example. Let's say the president, like Trump, in two thousand sixteen, he basically tells his economic advisors i want more military spending so one of the jobs of the president is as chief economic planner which means they create the budgets for the u.s federal government every year but the president is not going to sit there and crunch out the exact numbers that they're going to spend on the military or on education or on like public services instead the president gives a general idea to the economic advisors the economic advisors probably come back to him with a plan and they see if he's okay with it and he can make some small tweaks to it so it's really just like making the process more efficient by splitting up the labor. I would think the advisors and the people that actually do like they're, they're experts in their field who actually have more influence about what actually gets done. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like um, since the president isn't necessarily an expert on the issues, maybe he wouldn't know if that's like the best solution or whether there's some influence from the advisors. Yeah, I mean, you obviously don't know what the best solution is, but that's how the president gets elected. He tells people, 
we need to spend more on our military because we need more hard power to back our soft power in the Middle East. That's just an example. And then people elect him. That means no, regardless of whether that solution is good or bad, the people elected him because he represented his policy while he was campaigning for his election. And then he gets elected and then he has the right to make those changes because the people, the will of the people voted him in. So it's the people democratically and that's, that's the way they decide the policies and what's going on. Yeah. And then if like the leader or whatever, whoever's leading the country doesn't accurately carry out their policy, they're obviously not going to get a second term. If they promise a lot and then like get none of it done, that, that means nothing and the people won't elect him or her again. Well, if they don't promise a lot, so they're not like accountable for that. Like they could do other stuff that they want. I mean, if they don't promise a lot, they don't make big promises, then they're not going to get elected in the first place because politicians are professionals at making huge promises, right? So that's just a given for any politician you're going to see. They're going to make huge promises. And then throughout their you know, time in office, you're going to see how well they're able to carry that out. And that's going to determine their re-election. What about like accountability? How would accountability work? Well, if the, the people disagree on what the policy is, even though they did kind of like elect the best person. Well, wait, can you repeat your question? Like, if like 51% of the people choose this person and maybe that person isn't... Mm. Like their policy isn't what they what the people actually want. What can they do? Yeah. Okay. So if the people are really really split evenly, um, one president might go up. Well, first of all, realize that the people are split evenly. Okay. So two things, right? If the people are split evenly, when the president campaigns in swing states, they have to moderate their policy to target the moderates because what's going to determine an election with an evenly split population is who can swing the moderates to their side. So that automatically is a check for them to present their policy as more moderate. But second, if the people are really split, we have two other branches of government, the legislative branch and the judicial branch. Well, mainly the legislative branch with the House of Representatives and the Senate. So those are also elected by the people every two and six years, respectively. So like if those are also checks on the president. So if the president is like making weird policies, the other people that the people assembly that the people have you know, gotten into office, they're going to be like the extra checks on the president's power. Are moderates like, do, what, what are moderates role in this? Because you said like moderates, they swing to either side, but also people on the left and the right, they might not think that because you're a moderate, you don't believe all of the issues that I believe. Um, wait, wait, what, what is the question? So what's the role of moderates in the election? Because there's two, there's two sides to this. Maybe um, liberals and conservatives, they need moderates to help them win, like swing to either side of win, but also the people on the left and the right might not like moderates because they don't because they support the other side is that something valid 
Um, I don't think like anybody on. Well, if you're like part of the radical right or left, I don't think you hate moderates. You probably hate the other side a lot more. Moderates are kind of just there as neutral for most of the time, and they're probably like a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left. But in general, if you do some like targeted moderate policy, you can probably swing them. Uh huh. You brought up um, echo chambers and like filter bubbles, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So you want me to talk about echo chambers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, sure. So I see very often on Instagram, like uh, one of the main social media platforms, like people send out something like, do you believe that the election was rigged or do you support Trump? And then I know for a fact, if you click the button, yes, or whatever they disagree with, you will be unfriended. And then they will unfollow you, basically block you. So there's this interesting phenomena of, okay, if I agree with you, then we'll be friends. But if we disagree, then there's no way we can be friends. And then what happens then is all your friends are saying exactly what you want to hear. So you just keep getting like basically an echo of your own voice. You say something and then, oh, they repeat it back to you. And you're like, mm, yeah, I'm right. It gives you that confirmation that, you know, um, everybody agrees with you when that's not the case. You've just like cast aside people that don't. And then there's no room for changing your perspective at that point. Did you think that played out in your discourse that we saw? Um, sure, sure. I can give like a bit of background on like the conversation you're referring to. So basically this, one of my classmates, um, this girl, she posted a story of the words Trump written on Jewish graves. And then she said that, well, if you're Jewish and you still support Trump, you're not Jewish, completely against the Jewish community. How can you be Jewish and support Trump? So what I offered her was like some evidence of why Trump is very pro-Israel. And I acknowledge pro-Israel is not the same as pro-Jew, but they're pretty similar. Like, for example, he moved the capital of Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which was previously shared with Palestine. He recognized the West Bank, like a huge area of controversy that's right now split between Palestinians and um, Israelis. Like he gave that, he acknowledged that completely as Israel's. He reduced U.S. foreign aid to Palestine. He gave the Golan Heights from the Iranian terrorist group, Hezbollah, back to Israel after 53 years. And he basically, you've seen the recent Middle East deals, like he united Israel with the Gulf, uh, the GCC, the Gulf Cooperation, like states against Iran, who has like proxy terrorism run rampant inside of the Persian Gulf. It's actually, they basically have terrorists everywhere that they're controlling. And their main leader, Soleimani, was also killed by Trump by the way. But like what I'm saying is he's been very pro-Israel and then like to cite some people writing his name, which you don't even know if it's Trump supporters. It could have been Biden supporters trying to like def def defame like Trump. But to take that and say he's automatically anti-Jew, I just thought that was pretty absurd. And then what she did was she brought up like a personal example of anti-Semitism she experienced. She said that she has to teach kids in her synagogue to, you know, like run in zigzags to avoid bullets. So like she, she took this personal anecdote, which I don't want to be like mean, but it was like quite irrelevant to what we were talking about. And then she said, how dare you talk 
about you know this subject when you're not Jewish when you have experienced no anti-Semitism. So that's like the background of the conversation, and you can you can like ask more about it. What is she missing? Was she? Um, I think she's like missing that anecdotal or personal experience. While it matters, it's not the entire story. So because she talked about like Trump hurting the entire Jewish community, I asked her for you know some some corroboration or some like other accounts from the Jewish community of like Trump instigated racism. And like, she, she just got even angrier at me. She was like, um, how dare you ask for more? How dare you ask for more like uh, corroboration? How dare you discount my personal experience? I pray for you that like, you know, you find the way of love or whatever that's written in the Torah. And I basically commented, it doesn't matter like what identity I have or whether or not I have personal experiences because I can't, you know, empathize with your personal experiences, but I can talk about objectively how Trump's policy has shaped, you know, Israel, the homeland of the Jews. And also I then brought up some examples of where Trump did denounce anti-Semitism. He did denounce white supremacy very explicitly. And then the example she cited was Trump saying, calling Nazis a very fine people at Charlottesville. But if you look at the full context of the transcript there, he literally says there are people among that group where the Nazis are that aren't Nazis or white supremacists. I think those are the good people, but the white supremacists and Nazis aren't. So it was taken out of context. Basically, it was a, it was a short, like, you know, dissecting of Trump's rhetoric. But even if, like, his rhetoric was slightly racist, which I think is a problem, I would say... Well, my argument was that was that um, his policy matters more than his rhetoric. What do you think is like the goal of this conversation like, with the discourse that you had? My end goal was to genuinely search for moments where he was anti-Semitic or white, be like supporting white supremacy, which I, I, you know, there was like room in my mind that he probably could have done that because his mouth is a loose cannon. And then I would like acknowledge, okay, his, his rhetoric is like crap, but you know, he's been doing a lot of things for Israel, which might make him popular among the Jewish community. So that was like kind of what I was going for. And I was hoping she would see the same, like, yes, you know, he's been doing a lot for Israel, but he still is quite, anti-Semitic but then like she provided no like actual evidence and instead just gave her own anti-Semitic experience um that wasn't connected to Trump at all and then like the conversation just felt out of place and I think that's like probably a common problem in the political sphere it's if you're not this race then or if you're not of this identity then you can't talk about the problem or that's like a huge problem because I think identity and you know personal experiences quite overplayed when talking about a lot of issues. Do you feel like people would feel defensive that you're trying to like argue with them, trying to persuade them out of what they think is like real? Yeah, so um, yeah, I think people definitely approach conversations as an argument. So yeah, th this girl, she was like, stop arguing with me. I'm like, this is not an argument. Argument. I'm just trying to see where you're coming from. Um, and I think that's a pretty natural reaction. So maybe like at the beginning, in more of my discourses, I should try to diffuse the situation by 
just, you know, putting it out there, it's not an argument. Like, I'm just trying to see where you're coming from. Is she, like, all aware of, like, this post? And, like, do you guys do this, like, frequently? Like, discourse about all of this? Or... Um, not with her. Actually, when I cited, like, instances of Trump denouncing white supremacy and anti-Semitism, like, she didn't, she just, like, ignored it and then didn't respond. So, like, that was the end of the conversation, an interesting end. But, yeah, I talk, like, relatively frequently about a lot of political issues with random people. Random people, like, near you or, like, is it more, like, strangers or is it more, like, classmates that kind of thing yeah mostly acquaintances maybe from a long time ago um yeah anybody that's like basically appearing on my social media and like the goal is to like get a better understanding of people like trying to understand where they're coming from maybe expand our own view of what's going on so we can make better decisions for these like like be better but is there like a potential of some echo chambers inside? Like, even when you do try, is it possible to get rid of echo chambers in discourse? Um, I mean, echo chambers probably just stem from this fear of being wrong, which I acknowledge. I also have that same fear, but like when you're actively searching out, like debates and opposing viewpoints and perspectives and trying to the best of your abilities to understand them. I think that pretty much negates echo chambers the best that anybody can. So knowing that I am wrong about some things and I might not know about that yet. And I'm trying to figure that out. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. That's exactly just expanding your viewpoints because there's so much nuance to develop to any issue, not black or white at all. You there's like, there's so many fine details and like exceptions. So yeah, you can definitely hone in on your own ideas and expand your perspective. That said, that said like also like maybe people on the left and the right I mean they're also like thinking about like siding with people that are friend are friends with them and agree on their views would moderates see more nuance um moderates yeah they're probably more nuanced maybe not on individual subjects but at least on a variety of issues they're probably split between left and right or they're in general just haven't read that much or been watching the news that much so they don't they haven't like collected enough information to confidently form an opinion and that's like perfectly valid i think that's a great thing to do to not form an opinion too early because we may not know exactly what is going on or not being influenced by what other people are thinking near near me Oh, uh, wait, wait, what's the question? I mean, our thoughts always influence one another's. Yeah. I feel like I'm missing something. Something about the nuance that we're talking about. Like, mm-hmm. 
Wait, what, what did you just bring up earlier? I'm not really sure what that. Okay. Um, so in my earlier example, um, basically I'm saying that Trump is extremely pro-Israel and I provide a lot of examples of his policy in the past four years, but I'm willing to acknowledge the nuance that he has racist rhetoric. If like the person I'm discussing with provides ample evidence of that, then I will add that to my perspective. So my perspective goes from Trump is pro-Israel to Trump is pro-Israel, but sometimes with anti-Semitic rhetoric. So that's like, not, it's not a black or white issue. Like he's kind that would make him like slightly less popular with the Jewish community. And like, I would acknowledge that. And so he did, uh, go ahead. yeah, he did win like a record amount of Jewish votes this year. Like it's, it's still definitely not close to 50%. It's like 20 something, but he increased, he saw increased votes with the Jewish community this year. How do you know so much about all these policies and yeah. Yeah. Um, these policies, well, I wouldn't say I know that much, but in general, like after doing debate for a couple of years, I do something called public forum debate and there's a new topic every month. So that by itself is like, you got to research a lot because unlike other forms of debate, like Lincoln Douglas, where you get one topic every semester, public forum, you're like constantly researching current events. And that's what is focused on current events. And it switches between international and domestic events. So, and it basically has covered everything. And sometimes the topics get repetitive because there's only so many things you can talk about. Like we've talked about Middle Eastern gun sales twice already. We just talked about healthcare, talk about China a lot. And there's like, you see a lot of the same arguments come up over and over. And in general, you get a gist of a lot of the main issues that are happening in the world. How about neglected issues? Neglected issues um, such as? ones that I may not know about, like, uh, I, th I feel like a big neglected issue is like mass surveillance. surveillance. Not yeah. a lot of people know, are informed because it's really hard to understand what's going on. Um, the stuff on the internet, that's all invisible. And you kind of yeah, need to know well, like technical, you need to know like technical knowledge, like really understand it. Mm -hmm. It's hard for like a lot of people. Yeah, it's hard for people to get into that topic. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, public forum debate, it's not like only the biggest topics. Like sometimes we go into more nuanced ones, but obviously the biggest one, like we just talked about Medicare for all. That's a huge topic. We've talked about gun control, but there are like also more nuanced topics such as China's Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically what they're trying to expand through Eurasia and the Middle East. Um, basically like a new version of the Silk Road where China invests in all these countries and gets returns like a couple years later. So I don't actually know a lot about that. Yeah, nobody knew about that before we started debating it. But the topic came out, everyone was like, what's the BRI? What's the Bill and Road Initiative? And then we did some research. And then yeah, if you look at like Google searches, you can actually track how many people search every month. When the public forum debate topic comes out and you look at that topic, there's like a huge huge spike in searches and then like it's pretty funny to look at wait is it just is it is this like a school thing or is it like a national thing public forum debate uh-huh yeah it's the most popular form of high school debate in the country oh and it's those people that are researching that are driving up to searches yeah like everyone's researching it's a crazy amount of searches wow okay wait so what is this road 
this road um it's not like a physical road like back in i don't know when the silk road existed but back when it did exist it was a physical road um but it's basically china going through making deals with these countries and basically investing especially in coal which is kind of bad but they invest a lot in coal and other infrastructure projects um and then the countries pay them back later so the, the, the actual topic was, should the European Union join without reservations the China's Belt and Road Initiative? It wasn't even about the United States at all. Like the United States wasn't in, even in it. What happens if you join? You're letting China do like development in your country or something? Yep, exactly. Like common arguments against it are China does debt traps. So they give you more than they know you can pay back or they take away your labor force because they send their own workers in to, you know, work on these projects. So you're not getting any like employment out of China's projects. Um, they develop a lot of like coal plants, which could be bad, increases reliance on uh, fossil fuels and increases greenhouse emissions. There's a lot of arguments against it, but there's also arguments for it, like that the you know, European Union's infrastructure is falling apart and they don't have enough to invest right now. And like some investment from China could help. But yeah, it's definitely not, you know, just a good or bad thing for the European Union to join. So it's, it could be better for their, the, the, the EU's economy if they join? Yeah, it would definitely boost their economy. But Is this more like foreign trade because there's more investment in your country? Like who's gaining who's gaining from this china and the european union because the european union gets free infrastructure projects like even if um the european union doesn't like get their own workers to work like if china's building bridges for you and building like roads for you all this stuff that supposedly is falling apart right now for example in france like that's a win 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 China gets free economic development because China has um, an overproduction of a lot of metals, such as like steel and iron, I think. And they're making, they made way too much for their own country to use. So it's like kind of hurting their economy because of how much they made. So it helps kind of relieve their overproduction also. Is this like trying to build free bridges for other people or, or something? So I don't remember the details. Um, I do believe that you will pay China some amount, but I don't think the bridges are completely free, but it's like better than having to build your own bridges because I think China will subsidize part of it. How, how does China benefit if they build, they're just exporting their resources. Are they, how yeah. do they, making money or how are they doing that yeah the eu does pay for it like but not already and also they get to employ their own workers so that's always good if you can get more employment especially in an overpopulated place like china where unemployment is quite common china is sending their workers to other countries to build infrastructure yep oh and then in, con in like return, they don't only get money, right? They also get 
um, like geographical advantages. Like I think they had a port, I forgot in what country is one country in the Middle East, but it was extremely useful for them. And that's like area was basically now um, under Chinese control for like 50 years or something. It was a, it was a contract. So they get control, money, geographical influence, political influence, soft power, and maybe like more future trade deals with those countries. This kind of reminds me of Hong Kong. Do you see mm-hmm. like the connection? Uh, of Hong Kong? How, how so? Because like Brit- British, like Britain has like overseas land that they can use for like ports and like establish oh. their own like reach in like another area. Yeah. Just like na- like what you're saying that China's having like their own place yeah. outside of their area. Mm-hmm. You understand what you're saying? Like Imperial Britain, you know, had a lot of colonies that they had jurisdiction over. This is like, I guess you can say it resembles imperialism, but China's not taking over these countries, invading them, um, taking them under control. Maybe like economically, you could argue that China is usurping these countries, but it's like probably a more modern form of imperialism if you do say it is. If it benefits both sides, would that be better for everyone? Because they're getting bridges. People are moving more resources out of their country that they don't need. Is there a loser here or... Uh, like that's what, the, like the workers in the EU, maybe like the cities there. Yeah. So, um, there are a lot of arguments against it. So, like I said earlier, China sometimes debt traps the countries that they work with. Also, um, there's an argument that there will be a populist uprising in EU countries because of like sort uh, xenophobic sentiment among EU like uh, workers, like seeing, you know, China come in, take over all these projects, send their workers in to start doing things. Like there could be an uprising. Um, There's also the argument that, you know, the BRI is falling apart because they need like, I think it was, it was a lot of money, but they were falling short of the funding. Um, Yeah. So there are obvious risks. I see two connections here. Like historically, one connection is, Asian workers coming to like California area to like do a lot of jobs, like the railroad things and how some people didn't take that because they thought they were taking away their jobs because cheaply, because they're getting cheap labor. Yeah. They're preferred over them. Yeah. That's definitely true. Whenever foreign workers come in, there's definitely a lot of like discontentment. Like you see a lot of um, anti-Asian regulations in the 1800s and 1900s. Uh The second connection I see is a while back in Wisconsin, I think. Yeah. Um, The Chinese, um, like the tech company Foxconn, they promised like, like economic benefit to the people in that city because they're building like th- this giant factory, like development yeah. and promises weren't really kept. And it was mostly like profiting because they get the land and it's the, like people were forced out of their homes 
because they're um, like the city leaders thought that they would gain financially, but they didn't actually, they didn't. It's, it's still an ongoing thing, but. Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's pretty similar to debt trapping. It's just exploitation, not keeping your promises. Yep. Because the city gives them billions of dollars to like build that factory. And they think they're getting jobs in return, but it's like over-promising and they're not actually getting what they want. Yep, that's a risk. And that's like, that runs true for any topic that the NSDA releases. I would, releases, I would say they, in general, release pretty good topics that have strong arguments on both sides. Oh, okay. That Foxconn thing, was that something new or did you already like know that? Foxconn? Um, Foxconn building their fa- wanting to build their factory in Wisconsin. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. I mean, we don't. If you're like uh, running out of questions for you know like this politics stuff, debate stuff, you can talk about anything else. There are other things about politics, but I feel like we could talk about something else. Yeah. Sure whatever (laughs) okay yeah have you been doing like any big projects recently like the past few months or or small small um projects yeah sure um so first of all like i've been working on college apps um not consistently probably like procrastinating a little and then you know getting a lot of work done but the other project uh, I'm working on, it's actually, I have my own podcast. I don't know if you know about it. I do not know about that. Okay, yeah. It's not uh, about that. Yeah, it's called Disagree to Agree. And it's very similar to a lot of things I've talked about today. Just like trying to find some common ground, a lot of societal issues that pertain to the youth, such as, you know, minimum wage, standardized testing, um, and things about coronavirus too, like a pandemic UBI. It's just things like that. Disagree, agree? Disagree to agree. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, but I've also uh, been playing some piano. Like, I like that I, song. Yes, thank you. I have not played in a while, but like during quarantine, you know, I just came back to it. Um, I played like an escape room recently. Do you know what an escape room is? You played in an escape. No, no, I played. I played an online escape room. Oh, okay, yeah. So, okay, yeah. Basically, like you're stuck in this. Oh, you're not like physically stuck in a room anymore, but you basically have to solve a series of puzzles. It's like kind of a lamer version of an actual escape room, but it was still pretty fun. I have been to like a real escape room mm-hmm. and the yeah. only like online escape room I did was for like a physics thing, a physics assignment to like, it was on Google forms. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Like if you get the next question, you can move on to the next page. Yeah. How have you been? What have you been working on? I want to tell you like how this podcast like started, like, sure, sure. I've been thinking about, like, I've been planning the, the podcast, but, 
but it wasn't I, I was just planning too much i was thinking too much about like all this like just planning just planning in general and the general idea was like i'm just gonna wait because i have stuff to do right now and even though i really like like talking and all my interests like blending together to become a podcast yeah it wasn't until i saw your post with your discourse and i knew that this has to be i need to talk to you now and i can't this cannot wait another day or month or anything mm. yeah like i have to do this podcast now it's cool i'm glad i could be of help so when you talk about like a blend of interests what does that mean I feel like talking and conversations for me, I talk and have conversations a lot, conversations a lot, but there's no outlet for that. Um, even if we were, if just the two of us, we were just talking about this, I feel like this is something people can learn a lot about and I hope they're interested in learning more about. And mm. as for like the blended, like the, the overlaps of interest it's more on like the making side i want to make mm. something tangible and not just think and plan mm -hmm. that's good how did you get started on your podcast um well there was just like a lot of things that we're still to be talked about in politics, especially with the coronavirus, you know, the political sphere and everything is just changing rapidly. Like a vaccine just came out. Schools were set to reopen this semester, but they didn't um, for, for our district, at least like things are changing so rapidly. It's nice to have a place to just talk about it. Is it like local issues or? Uh, yeah, as localized as possible, but like it can also expand to, California like we talked about the California minimum wage is this like a co-host thing or is it do you have guests on or how or monologue or um it's we just invite guests on social media if they want to talk about like a topic such as standardized testing and then we basically have them get on zoom and then we have rewritten list of moderator questions we ask them they answer they can oh two panelists my bad we get two panelists on so that they can discuss with each other and they should have opposing viewpoints, preferably. And then they can talk with each other. Wait, so you you are like a moderator and you're inviting two guests to debate? Yeah, I'm not the only moderator, though. We have like a small team of six people and we alternate moderator. And what does this, six this team of six do? Like they're planning like the questions or like what to talk, yeah. what to debate about? Yeah, so we first plan a topic, um, the step one. Step two is find people to who are willing to talk about the topic, uh, one from each side of pro or con, and then third is writing a short list of questions for moderating, and then fourth is record, and that's it. It's pretty simple. And if you're like the one that's talking, like the moderator, are you like responsible for like the whole process, like producing, writing the questions? Is that on you, or is it a, a team thing? Nope. Everything else is done as a team. So. That means writing the questions is done as a team. Um, editing and uploading is done as a team. The only thing that you do as moderator is be in the actual discourse and ask the actual questions. I see. Okay. 
And you, who, who came up with this idea? Uh, yeah, it's my podcast. You can actually search it up. Okay, I'm gonna do that right now. Yeah, you just search up disagree to agree, no spaces, nothing. All right. And all right, I just typed in disagree to agree. And do I just scroll? Where do I look? Where do I look uh, for this? Uh, it's, it's, it's a YouTube channel, but I think you should be able to do you see like an article about it. Is it tech tello? Mm, okay, yeah, I, I I don't know how. Let's see what I don't even know what comes up when you start shit out. Oh, okay. Let's see. All right, I just searched on YouTube. Search disagree to agree podcast. I think you should find it on YouTube. Yeah, let's see. Still pretty small. So. Okay, I see it. I see it. Yes. Disagree to agree. Ah, that is interesting. Thank you. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but thank you. No, it's that good. Is- it, it look, it look, I want to hear it though, like later. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, um, the episodes are about like 20 to 30 minutes. Oh, there's one that's 52. Yeah. Yeah. Is it like a long form thing or is it edited or what's going on? Um, so interestingly enough, so our first thing, we just did like debates. We had debates with no moderator and that went okay. Like, you know, people just reiterate their own points, but we decided to switch into a podcast format with a moderator in order to, you know, make guide the conversation. Um, and then eventually we, um made longer episodes so like things are progressing we we haven't stuck to like one format okay yeah have you been doing well in school taking hard classes online classes good um really optimistic and i feel like it's better than i expected like you can actually the format can be used in a good way like on zoom it can yeah it can but yeah but i think no i agree is there anything else you want to talk about earlier you you like listed a couple things or oh this is like a side thing but what do you feel about like silences in conversation because like when you're talking, like having a regular conversation, of course there's gonna be like pauses, right? And I guess you could say, oh, that might be an awkward pause or people are thinking. Yeah. But um, I think silences could be like a really good, good thing. Silences can be a good thing. Interesting. It's natural. Mm-hmm. It's natural to like have I, to like I, think, collect yourself, huh? I agree, I agree. I agree they're natural, but like I, don't know if I agree that like they're necessarily good because if you know the flow of, flow of ideas can just continually keep going um, and as long as everyone has like a relatively healthy attention span that doesn't run out after like I don't know 30 minutes then I think it's great to just continually talk like for example um, Abraham Lincoln and Stephen Douglas they did a series of Lincoln-Douglas debates, right? And each debate was 
four hours long. They just went at it and with no stops. And yeah, that, that's a nice flow of ideas. It shows that the ideas are tenacious. They're passionate. They're like well-spoken. And, you know, there's this huge um, shift in paradigms and thoughts. And they're connected. They're all flowing from one person to another. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like, but na- like naturally in a conversation, there's going to be pauses. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like this. <laughs> Are awkward pauses awkward or or should should they not be awkward? Because um, it's just our interpretation, right? Feeling, yeah. yeah. I mean, hmm. Yeah, I don't think they need to be awkward. I mean, a lot of times, I don't know. I don't know if this is the same among, with girls, but like if I'm hanging out with some other dudes, like they just pause, like no talk. Everyone's just like looking around. It's like not awkward at all because like, I don't know. And then, like, when somebody says something and then the conversation continues, like, it's, like, the conversation will just stop and we'll just, like, look around and think for a solid minute or two. And then somebody will say something and things just pick up where they left off. And that's that's not awkward at all. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, by the way, where can I find this? Where can I find... Where are you uploading it? Um, I want to make sure that the RSS feed is manage like i can like directly do this on the rss thing because i'm not really sure about the hosting and originally originally i was gonna put on youtube but since this is audio only yeah it's now that's not good because there's no visual component mm-hmm. but once it's on once it's on a rss feed it could go anywhere like all your spot your podcast apps Mm. okay i have not used rss what is that um it's kind of like a native thing to like the internet like kind of like what email like an email protocol like interesting um, it's what like everyone agrees to use like it's just a it's just like a you have your podcast and what's his name what's his description Mm. what is this thing about and then what the rss reader thing does is it gives this information to like, for example, like Spotify. So they would see what the description is and a couple podcasts would also see what the description is. So you wouldn't yeah. need to like separately do it to every single person, like every single platform. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Cause like recently started using audiobooks. I mean, I, I'm still on my like first free book on audible. But yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. Like I thought it would take forever to read like a book that was you know, decent in length, but surprisingly it wasn't even that long compared to how like I read normally. I think it's cause when I read normally, um, like I read pretty fast, but like after a while I have to stop because I can't process the words anymore. But with like audiobooks. It just keeps going and you can listen for a long time. Even if the pace is generally slower, it's super consistent. It's like the slow and consistent turtle that beats the rabbit. You said slow and consistent, but do you play it at 1x speed? No, I play at like 1.2 because I like the narrator. who uh, The one I'm reading right now is um, A Checker's Guide to the Galaxy and it's read by Stephen Fry. Oh. He's, a, he's a very good narrator. He has like... So I don't want to ruin that by, you know, speeding his voice up too much. Like normally for 
video notes for classes, you know, I speed it up two times. But, you know, when it's nice narration, I'll, I'll just keep it slow. It's a big book. Like, there's a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. And he reads it in only in under six hours, which is pretty nice. I feel like that's really fast. Like, if I yeah. were to read it out loud, I don't think I would take way more than six hours. Yeah. Six hours. I was pretty shocked by how small. Yeah. Like, time it would take to hear the book i thought it would be like super slow and it, at 1.2 it's probably like five hours huh yeah yeah wait how'd you get into this book like was it because like it connected to the other books you're you're listening to no so actually like in freshman year we were doing this reading vlog um i chose this book uh, four years three years ago i chose this book and then i read like part of it and then, you know, I started procrastinating and then I just randomly filled out the reading log like that I had finished reading the book. And then I somehow convinced myself that I'd actually read the book. And then three years later, I was just like, okay, that was a pretty good book, but I never got to finish it. So it's time to finish it. Uh-huh. What, what genres do you like to read? I read a lot of, gen- of genres, like, but the, I feel like right now, this year, the past year, it's been science fiction mm. um like bio biographical like memoirs and that kind of thing mm-hmm. and some nonfiction and some novels mm-hmm. if you like science fiction um i highly recommend the three-body problem i am reading that right now <laughs> it, it's, it's really good um did you read like the second and third book or? Yeah, I read all of them, but it was, um, I think in eighth grade or something. So, Wait, what do you think about the translation? The translation, I don't remember much, but I remember it being easy to read. I don't think there's any problem in the translation, right? I feel like it's really choppy. Like it feels, it feels like statements, like this is what happened. This happened. This happened. The person said this. This happened, mm-hmm. this happened. Like, it feels... Yeah, maybe it's not the most elegant writing, but it has very... It has, like, very interesting concepts. So I think that's where the of the story is. I haven't got to that part, but what do you think about the foldable proton 11th dimension stuff? Yeah, so... Hmm. That actually... when I, I think when I read that, that actually got me interested in a lot of weird questions so it's very weird that they have this 11th dimension thing while normally scientists say there's like three dimensions and then you know you have time as the fourth dimension so i think i think their interpretation is probably more interesting you mean the aliens interpretation or the book Uh, the part about dimensions specifically how there's like 11 dimensions and then like moving one inch in like uh, the 11th dimension moves you like a mile in the 10th and then that means like a huge distance in the ninth and then like basically distances in the dimensions get compounded as bigger and bigger so it's it's interesting it's like the same way a person in three dimensions sees like a flat piece of paper as two-dimensional and can move from on that paper with ease by just lifting their hand to say that's the same way a fourth dimension person might see us they can look at us like we see two dimension and then easily move from distance to distance in three dimensions so that applies to every single dimension up to the 11th it was it was an interesting concept is it just 
distances or is it more than that? Uh, it's just distances. I don't want to spoil too much for you. I think you should read it. It's pretty good. <laughs> I see. Okay. It's been an hour. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, in disagree to agree, what happens if the two debaters don't really know? Like, like there's a pause in the two debaters? Um, Are you just going to bring up a new question? Well, normally, like, so we ask a question and then one per- it's directed at one person they voice their viewpoint and then there's a chance to respond back and forth back and forth and then once the back and forth ends it's like the next question that's so you much so usually there's disagreement so you counter it yeah yeah and if we see that like disagreement is being non-constructive like somebody's just repeating their own point or missing what the other person is saying then the moderator steps in and like makes sure that the person is adequately responding like persuading is this like persuading the audience then since we're seeing two different viewpoints yeah yeah but mainly like we iterate clearly that you know it's about trying to find some common ground there's no winners or losers that's like what we say every time uh-huh. um, yeah it's just trying to f- develop more nuance on these like topics that are just rapidly changing a core thing my vision for this podcast would be is to like take action application is is more important than just like the nuance of ideas you have to go a step further and actually make the progress happen mm-hmm. does that carry through with your podcast um let's what can li- what can listeners do like after they listen to these nuanced opinions yeah i don't think we really tackle that i think mostly it's just about you know honing your own ideas first so what would you say what do you suggest listeners do to take action i'm just wondering like is it possible to take action if you don't know the entire nuance because of course there's gonna be nuance but well, if it's just way too much nuance, how do you take action? Yeah. Um, so complicated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. obviously. Um, I, like the, I like the quote, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress. So you're, you're going to have to cut some corners. You're going to have to sacrifice a few things every time you make a decision. But it's about educating yourself to the best of your abilities and then doing comparative analysis. Um, all things considered is a world where we make this decision better than a world we don't Uh uh-huh so actively trying to do something about it making the decision is yeah yeah but sometimes the best decision is just to not act like that could be the best decision Uh uh-huh but at least we're considering it right so yeah definitely 100% consider everything all ideas like doesn't matter how stupid do you think the idea is? Consider it, like, give it a chance. Would making it simple, like, help people? Would making the nuanced idea simpler make it easier for people to take action? Um, no. I think simplicity is quite overrated. Um, like, dumbing things down, because I don't, I don't think the public is 
as stupid and like most people are like way smarter than they're probably giving credit for. Um, you can explain things in complicated terms. You can explain things in extreme detail. And that's, I think that's what public discourse needs to be. It doesn't need to be dumbed down. It needs to be with the full intellectual vigor of whoever like originally produced those ideas. And that's like going to be the best discourse that exists. And this discourse only happens when like people are actually like really involved in it and they really need to vote like their energy into actively trying to figure out what they believe. And if it's not simple, if it's, if it's simple, I guess it, it could be like for the masses, but if it's complicated, it's for people that actually want to like develop their opinion. Um, okay, so I think the masses honestly do have the capacity to eat up a lot of, you know, so-called sophisticated materials. It's just they probably haven't had as much exposure to those materials as some people that we might see as more, you know, intellectually well-rounded or developed. So, yeah, I, I, like we're not trying to dumb anything down. Just if you can explain concisely and without being like too redundant and repetitive and being um, overly complicated using over an overt amount of jargon, that's obviously good, but don't try to dumb things down because like that's that's a bit disrespectful to people. It's like you don't think they can comprehend, but I think most people can. So focus, focus on the essence of the issue. Um, yeah, yeah. Just have faith that people will be able to understand your articulations. Uh-huh. And like bring up neglected issues as well. Um, uh, neglected issues? Hmm. I don't know what that word exactly. I know what the word means, but I don't know what um, like, like, constitutes a neglected issue. Some, an idea that we need to have more discourse about. And um, we need to talk, as like the general public, we need to talk about more so we can make we, so we know like what to vote for or mm. yeah yeah that makes sense like for example like right now there isn't much discourse on as like as much like enough discourse on mass surveillance because that's not like a super big 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 like priority as like the economy or something like that yeah mm. yep do you have anything you want to add um like anything um okay anything we missed any neglected questions that we didn't ask um no but if anybody listened to the end um go check out my podcast too disagree to agree on youtube yeah. yes all right okay. well are you gonna do you do anything for like national holidays? National holidays. Where are you going to do, do now? Uh, you know, at 1040 right now, I'm <laughs> um, probably going to you know, get out of bed, go get ready and do some stuff. Um, for national holidays, as in now, probably not much. Normally, maybe consider traveling, like go skiing or something, but probably not this year.
I see. Yep. All right. Thank you, Randy. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, All right. Yep, best of luck. Feels good to talk to you. Yep, likewise. All right. Okay. We'll just end it here then. Yep. Thanks. Bye. Bye.